Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Anisha Ramakrishna and I'm an Indian entrepreneur and TV personality with big dick energy. You may know me from Bravo TV's Family Karma and of course social media. I grew up in a very conservative Indian family, but I have always forged my own path and live life on my own terms. I recently left my successful career in New York City and my long-term relationship to pursue my own fashion business. I'm single in my mid-30s and I live with my parents. I'm currently cringing and I know you are too. Join me as I spill the chai on my own cringeworthy personal life experiences every Thursday, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the founder and CEO of Create and Cultivate, and this is Work Party, a podcast for a new generation of women who are ditching the rule book and redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we bring in leading female entrepreneurs for real talk advice on the topics that matter most to the modern career woman from hiring to mentorship to raising money and so much more. Whether you're pivoting to a new industry, negotiating a raise, turning your side hustle into a full-time gig, or pitching your company to investors, we're giving you the tips and tricks you need to take your career to the next level. Ready to make some money moves? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. was filled with unexpected challenges that most small business owners were not prepared for, requiring us to pivot and adapt to new, ever-changing realities. Now, after a year of quick pivots, it's time for us to identify and capitalize on new opportunities in 2021 with purpose, which is why I'm so excited for today's conversation with Alana Branston and Allie Kriegsman, the co-founders of the online wholesale platform Bulletin. It's safe to say these two entrepreneurs know a thing or two about changing course. Since launching in 2015, they've pivoted their business several times from a shoppable newsletter to weekly pop-ups to a brick and mortar shop, and now to an online wholesale marketplace that has thrived during COVID. I'm so excited to talk to them today about how they pivoted, identified, and capitalized on new opportunities, secured venture capital funding to scale, and so much more. So without further ado, let's welcome to the work party, Alana and Allie. So welcome to the show, guys. We're so excited to have you. We always like to kind of start at the beginning on Work Party. So you guys met back in 2015. You were working at Contently, which, you know, for people who don't know, it was like a content marketing startup in New York City. It was kind of a big deal. 
tell us about what drew you guys together because I think so many founder and co-founder stories come from a workplace experience uh, where you're able to bond over sort of what you learn at that job. So if you could just tell us a little bit about how you guys met and how you guys started to come to fruition into the iteration of Bulletin. So when I started at Contently, I came in at age like 23 and I was a sales strategist. So I was in a more entry-level role than Alana was. She had started out as a sales executive, but we started on the exact same day in 2014 and we were desk mates. And I just remember being so in awe of this woman. Like she was a few years older than me. She was always in the freshest, most put together outfits she was crushing it. Like we were in the number one and two salespeople at the organization. And I started to quickly get promoted, which was exciting. And I was just like immediately drawn to her and kind of anchored against her as like a mental role model at that age. I had no idea that she'd eventually invite me to work on bulletin with her, which initially was just a side hustle. It was a newsletter that we created together and join her as her editor in chief. Yeah, that's pretty much how it began. We actually weren't really close for the first few months of working at Contently because of those different roles and kind of being at different levels of seniority within the organization. But I became a sales executive pretty quickly. And within about like six months, I would say, we just really connected and realized that we had similar interests and similar values, but it it really started on the first day with me being like her, like there's something about her, but Alana, I don't know what your experience was like. Yeah. I would say the same thing. Like we were, we were desk mates and I just remember Allie being this like bubbly ray of light and I don't know, so funny and so extroverted and like very different from, I don't know how I was. She was like on the karaoke team at Contently. Like, I just feel like she was like this amazing, (laughs) like extroverted salesperson. And then she also at the time was working on a documentary. And that was like super impressive to watch her do that. I knew she was like an incredible writer. When I, you know, started Bulletin, I really wanted her to be involved with the writing piece. And I knew that she would like totally nail that. Amazing. So Bulletin started as a newsletter, but can you just tell us sort of the the beginnings of what your thought was around it, what you were hoping to do with it, and then eventually how it evolved into IRL pop-up markets and then eventually into the brick and mortar store. So can you tell us a little bit about the evolution? It definitely, starting it, it was a total side project. Like I never was like, oh, I want to start like a massive corporation and like a big (laughs) company. Like it was like, this will be like a fun side project. I had been at Contently for like almost two years doing sales and was honestly just looking for like some kind of creative outlet. I feel like at the time I had a lot of friends, this was like 2015 or so that had like small brands. They were making like jewelry or ceramics and they all had these, like, you know, they worked in these cool studios. Like they were just like such cool people with like great products. And I felt like it was really hard to discover them. Maybe you would see them at like a market or something, but this was kind of like pre the days of people, you know, selling on Instagram or everyone having a Shopify. And so, yeah, I was like, let's make this newsletter and where we go and like shoot their studio, get to talk about their story and how they got started. And then we'll like help them sell their products through this like shoppable blog essentially. And so, yeah, definitely like a total side project. We worked on it like nights and weekends. We would kind of like leave work and go like interview these brands. Alana would put like fake meetings on our calendar so we could leave contently early to go do interviews. I remember being in the car with her when she did this for the first time it was like 4 p.m. on a Thursday. And I was like, she's so bad. <laughs> like we were, <laughs> we were going to red. I mean, up. we were hitting our numbers and it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> it was fine. True, but it was, true. It was, 
I'm not as much of a rule breaker. And I feel like, yeah, she just had this like renegade spirit and it was really fun at, at the start for sure. <laughs> I mean, that's how it always starts. And then it gets, it turns into something bigger than you could ever imagine. So talk to me about the brick and mortar, because that's a huge leap to go from a newsletter, pop-up markets, testing the water clearly, and then being like, boom, we're doing this. Yeah. Basically what happened is we did the newsletter for a while, you know, maybe like six months or so. And then that winter for like the holiday season, we were like, let's do a pop-up market. Let's get like 50 of these brands together and just do like a fun holiday market that went like relatively well was definitely like a nightmare logistically, but like we launched it. We like made a bunch of money doing that. And I think it was the first time where we were like, okay, people paid for this. We like are making money from this. Like we could see this as this like repeatable thing where like the newsletter after six months just kind of became a slog and we felt like it wasn't really like making money or growing. And so we basically started to do these markets first. It was like every month. And then we started doing it every weekend. We moved it to Williamsburg and took over this like massive space. And we had like hundreds of brands, like, you know, coming through these markets and it like turned it into like a pretty big thing. That was most of, most of 2016. I think we got to a point where we were like this again, is like such a slog. We're like building these markets every weekend and like setting up tents and tables. And like, it was like physical labor every single Saturday and Sunday for like almost a year. And so we were like, let's basically bring this indoors and like open a store and do something that's a little bit more sustainable where we can hire staff and not have to like man the booths and like build these markets. So we opened the first store in Williamsburg. This was like the end of 2016, similar model with the markets where brands would pay a monthly fee to have access to the store. We would fully run everything and staff everything. We would give them their sales and just like manage it for them. And it worked super well. We like booked it out immediately. We then opened another store in Nolita, like a few months later, we opened a store in Flatiron and it was just like one after the other, like the stores would sell out. Like there was so much interest from brands and it really became something that took off and just felt much more sustainable for us than like, you know, the newsletter and like all the other iterations of the business. And I think it helped because we were always working with that same brand community. And so to me, we're just offering like better and better solutions for them as we grow. This podcast is brought to you by Athleta, a performance lifestyle brand for women committed to unlocking their limitless potential. The guiding principles that drive every design, beauty, innovation, sustainability. Each style is crafted for the unique needs of female bodies in motion. This summer, Athleta is your go-to shorts destination. Distraction-free and ultra-lightweight, their shorts are designed so nothing can get in the way of you and your goals. From bike shorts to Bermudas, run shorts to everyday staples, they have your shorts. I've been wearing their high-rise elation shorts for a while now, but my new personal favorite pair is the Salutation Stash Pocket Short for so many reasons. First and foremost, the side pocket technology is a game changer. Ladies, I think we all know how important pockets are, especially when you're busy and on the go and don't want to be lagging around searching your purse. It's great for stashing your phone, wallet, and all of your small daily essentials. But aside from the pockets, the silhouette of these shorts is chic, sculpts your body in such a flattering way, and feels buttery soft. So of course, you'll never want to take them off. I mean, I wear these shorts when I'm running, doing yoga or Pilates. It's so versatile. I feel like I've finally found an activewear brand that looks as good as it feels. In honor of short season, Athleta is encouraging us to lead with our legs. Whatever that looks like for you, whether it's running a new personal record, climbing new heights, or standing up for what you believe in, let your legs lead you forward. The summer is my favorite time of year. The warm weather, it's such a motivator for me. It gives me the push I need to get active and get outdoors and get that daily dose of vitamin D. There have been times in my life where I hated showing off my legs for whatever the reason. 
but Athleta's variety of summer shorts are stylish and make me feel good and ready to take on the day. When I wear their shorts, I feel strong, confident, and empowered. And aside from their amazing shorts, they also have everything from leggings to sports bras, sweatshirts, and more. All of their stuff is stylish, super well-made, insanely comfortable. So if you're looking to try new workout gear, now is the time. Summer is the time to celebrate the legs that move us forward. Find your new favorite pair of shorts when you visit athleta.com. Visit Athleta in stores or online at athleta.com to shop their full range of shorts available in size extra, extra small to 3X. Now let's get back to the party. I feel like when it comes to taking that leap from your full-time job to running bulletin, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's like the number one question we get at Create and Cultivate. It's like, when do I leave my job to start a full-time thing or take my side hustle to the next level? it was really helpful to like actually start before we quit, honestly. So I feel like we, for at least six months, were like working on it and building and like doing everything on nights and weekends and got like a certain amount of traction. Um, cause I think both of us were like really scared to quit. We like really didn't have a lot of savings or like anything to fall back on. Um, and so this felt like a massive risk, but I think we got like a little bit more comfortable because we were like, all right, there's, you know, a hundred brands that are on this. There's like some level of success. We've started to like meet other people in the industry. So that really helped us take the leap. Like, I think we were getting to a point where we were like, we feel more comfortable with this. And then we applied to Y Combinator, which is like this accelerator program in Silicon Valley um, that funds like early stage companies and helps them like raise a pre-seed or seed round. And so we applied for that. We were like super, super early for that type of program and ended up getting into a like earlier stage version of the program called YC Fellowship. And they basically gave us $20,000 to start and to kind of quit. And for us, that seemed like, millions of dollars at the time. And that really was like, okay, like we have a little bit more savings. We have this validation from this like prestigious, like third party, like let's go for it. Let's quit. And we just kind of like ripped the bandaid, but definitely very scary. Amazing. So you guys were self-funding it up until Y Combinator. Yes. Mm -hmm. Great. And so that's when you guys really took that leap to get to the next level. It sounds like it moved very fast, like in a way. Um, so I would love to hear a little bit about operationally setting up the business in a partnership, because I think there's a lot of co-founders out there and there's really amazing success stories of co-founders and there's like not so great stories of co-founders. And I think navigating business partnership is, is something that is very tricky and nuanced, but people who do it well, do it great. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, what makes your partnership successful? What were some of the key elements that you did at the beginning that have set you up for success in the long term? Um, and any lessons learned, Ali, if you want to take that was really obvious up front what each of us was great at and what each of us wanted to do. And there was very little overlap. I think that for me, I was very comfortable early on with Alana being the kind of planner and visionary and like super strategic one. And I love the execution side and the off side. And so there wasn't really any tension at any point, I would say, of I want to be doing this, but you're doing it or you're doing it. And I want to be doing it. And I think a lot of that came from being in a working environment prior to starting bulletin together and being like in business together via contently versus being friends first. So there was very little ego involved. I could watch Alana work and hustle, like literally sitting right next to me in the parts of doing sales and putting proposals together and closing business and like the parts of that that she loved and she was great at. And I think it was really obvious to her, like certain aspects of my creative, like personality with the documentary and writing that like she 
doesn't want to do and like didn't feel as comfortable with doing and taking on. So there was never really a conversation. I feel like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, of like, you're going to do this and I'm going to do that. It was just kind of like, I know what you're great at and what your superpowers are and your weaknesses. You know, all of that about me. We've seen each other work in tandem for such a long time. Like we're going to go into this building together and take on the pieces of the business that we feel like we can each own and move forward. I think the really special thing about our relationship is there's this like inherent accountability. And I write about this in my book. It's like, you need to be partnering with someone that you don't need to be like breathing down their neck to know that they're getting the work done. And I think I was able to see her accountability because she had an e-commerce company called Barb and Bear before she started Fullerton. Um, I saw her at Contently. She saw the same thing with me at Contently and with my documentary. And I think that like silent accountability is really important where it doesn't always feel like one person is managing the other. There's definitely always elements of that. Like I do feel sometimes like Alana manages me to become better for the business and be better at my job. But I would say that is like the core underpinning of why the relationship works is because we know that we're good for it. Yeah. Having aligned work ethics, I think is really important. Um, or at least knowing what the other person's work ethic is like and going into it, like wide eyed is really, really important. So I, I love that. So obviously since launching Fulton, you guys were a team of two now a team of nearly 30. So how has, you know, the, the company, how has it been scaling the company, growing a team and how do you guys learn how to effectively lead and manage a team? Assuming it's the first time doing that with a team this large. Yeah. I would say it feels like we are running like a completely different business, like almost every six months. Like I think we're still at the team size where like every new hire feels like it totally changes the dynamic. And, you know, every time there's like a, you know, two or three new people, like the way that we have to set up meetings and like communicate things totally changes. And so it's been interesting to adapt to that. And like, you know, when you're a five person company and you're all in like a small co-working space on top of each other. It's much easier to communicate something versus now where we're 30 people remote in four different countries. Like it's completely different. And so I think it's definitely been a challenge to operationalize that and make sure that people still feel connected and still feel like everything's like being communicated the right way. But yeah, I think overall, like we've always known what we're not good at and what our like weaknesses are. Like Ali and I are both non-technical, really like no experience on the finance side. Like there's just a, like, I think we both have kind of growth and marketing backgrounds, but like <laughs> basically everything else we really didn't have much experience in. And so I think we really leaned on advisors and recruiters and investors to find like world-class people to fill those holes. So like on the engineering side, we brought in an amazing head of engineering, same thing on product, same thing on the um, finance side. And so I think it's about, yeah, just like knowing what we're not good at and like where to really bring in the like heavy hitter talent. And then the other things like marketing or like, you know, we're not experts, but we like feel a lot more comfortable there and feel like we maybe don't need that super senior talent just yet. I think a big shift too, from being like a small, like eight person team to 30 is I think earlier in the business, when we were a smaller team, we optimized for hiring really hungry junior people and yeah. now we're in a place where we're optimizing for people who are smarter than us that already know how to get the job done. Um, and I think that's a natural transition that most businesses take, but I'd say that's also been a really key difference is like, rather than having to, I wouldn't use the word micromanage, but like be the guiding light for these different roles and the master delegator and the one that has to learn and then educate. 
I'm in a place now and I feel a, a lot of might see this the same way where I'm learning. Like I am learning from the people that we're hiring now rather than teaching because mm. they're in a sweet spot of expertise that like I have not hit and may not ever hit in their department. Do you ever dream of indulging in your favorite guilty pleasures without having to suffer the unhealthy consequences? Well, I have, and my dream has come true thanks to Coors Pure. The all new Coors Pure is a refreshingly simple beer with organic barley, organic hops, and water. So you can get fired up for a chill summer, enjoy an ice cold beer on your days off, and still feel good about the ingredients you're putting in your body. If we're being honest, living a balanced lifestyle has always been hard. Motivation in the wellness or better for you space is strongly in pursuit of the perfect body. So when it starts to get overwhelming, grab a Coors Pure. It's an organic beer that is founded on the idea of balance and meets people where they are in their health journey with enthusiastic positivity. Good for you shouldn't be hard for you. And Coors Pure simple ingredients make life a little bit easier without losing any of the enjoyment. Cracking open a Coors Pure is a great way to reward yourself, whether you finally got that promotion at work, reached a personal new record, or just made it as far as putting on your running clothes, Coors Pure celebrates you. They love giving aggressive affirmations to everyday heroes. My husband and I are obsessed with Coors Pure. We always have it stocked in the fridge, in the cooler, at dinner parties on the weekends, and we don't feel guilty about drinking it. There's something so nice about having an ice cold beer with a warm burger right off the grill. It's so symbolic of summertime and life's simple pleasures. And as I'm recording this, I have just decided I will definitely be having a little barbecue pool party of my own this weekend. I love Coors Pure so much that the grass is really always greener wherever there's a Coors Pure, so make your vacation days more organic. Coors Pure is the perfect beer to celebrate the wins of everyday life. So when you want to enjoy a beer without the guilt, reach for Coors Pure. It's organic, but chill about it. Go to CoorsPure.com slash party to see where you can find Coors Pure. That's CoorsPure.com slash party. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Albany, Georgia. Now let's get back to our chat. Who were some of those key hires you think that like game changed your business? Hired a new chief revenue officer. I was running growth prior to hiring her. She came from Constant Contact business.com. She helped get business.com acquired. She grew their revenue exponentially. I reached a breaking point in my expertise and we were kind of stuck at this ceiling with sales. And we knew that it was time to kind of bring in uh, a big wig that had more experience and more expertise than I did. And she only joined about two months ago and it's already so insane how exponentially impactful. She is like literally every single day, every single week, I'd say she was key. And I think for Alana, you can speak more to this, but I think hiring Sid on the product side for you is really critical. Definitely. Yeah. I was basically serving as like our product manager for about a year and had like truly no experience on product or engineering. And yeah, Sid came in and just completely overhauled everything, put systems in place and just made it where it's like, okay, this is like a functioning product and engineering team where we can like ship quickly and like do everything that a normal company would do. And yeah, we could just like really see what we were lacking before she came in. And I think like to speak more to the growth side and what Ali was saying with Rachel, like it's been really cool to watch just the progression over the past five years or so. Like I think there was a point where Ali was literally closing like every single customer, every single like dollar that we brought in was like from something Allie did or for someone that she called or like a customer that she closed. And now to have this like amazing team that she's built around her, that is like being able to like scale her efforts and, but like taking 
the same core messaging and the same like way that Ali would sell and just kind of like expanding that and scaling that has been like super cool to see. Absolutely. And obviously scaling a business takes money and you guys were able to raise a $10 million venture round to fund your growth. So talk to us a little bit about the experience in raising money, what you did to bring investors to the table. Obviously you had like an early in with the Y Combinator side of things. And like, I just think there's a lot of interest in terms of our audience and how do you do this? When do you do this? Who do you go to? What do you say? All of those different things. So tell us a little bit about the process. Well, one, I would definitely recommend Y Combinator. I think it like truly like helped our whole experience. Like we had no idea how to fundraise, like no idea where to start. And like everything you just said, that's exactly how we felt where we were starting from like square one. So definitely recommend applying no matter like how early you are, like just do it. It takes an hour, definitely worth your time. Outside of that, I would say, you know, it's never too early to start talking to investors, even if it's something where there's just a little bit of traction, you know, if you have like a small team build, like I think that you can probably start the conversations early on. And especially in like the very early stages of fundraising, it doesn't need to be, oh, I like I'm starting my process and it's like this big, massive launch. I think it's totally fine to, you know, kind of reach out to investors, get warm intros whenever you can and just start the conversation, tell people what you're working on, see how investors react to it. Like, I think, you know, when we started this process, I definitely used to look at it as like, okay, we're putting a stake in the ground. We're fundraising, like we're starting this whole thing. But if you're super, super early stage, like there's no harm in, starting to have those conversations and just like kind of getting feedback from investors on like where they think you are and, and like what they think of your traction. And obviously when you're pitching, you're pitching to get the money, but you're also pitching, they're kind of pitching you in terms of like what they'll be providing from a strategic perspective. So Ali, can you talk a little bit about that? I think an important thing for founders to know is the difference between the t- types of investors that you can kind of let into your orbit and let into your business. There are angel investors that may be really bullish on you as a founder and really bullish on your category and really excited about what you're building, but they're not a like venture institution that's expecting you to become Uber. Like they will be fine with like a two to five X return on their investment in this, you know, business and in this industry, there are venture investors, like, you know, the tried and true, like, uh, Sand Hill road institutions that, have invested in the Dropboxes, Airbnbs, you know, Instacarts and, you know, Instagrams of the world that are hoping for you to IPO or get acquired for 10x what they put into your business. And the relationships with those two different buckets looks completely different. And the business that you're running may be best suited for an angel investor or a pool of angel investors versus, you know, that Sand Hill Road like you know, massive like software investor VC firm. So I think that's really critical too. Like every investor that you talk to has a different expectation of what they're going to get from putting money into your business. They have different feelings about what returns they expect from putting money into your business. And I think that's an important thing to consider. And so for us, like, I don't think that women investors often have like their, their pick of the litter. Like we know this just based on the stats, like women get 2% of all venture financing, less than 2%. You know, most of that 2% goes to white women founders, like BIPOC women receive a fraction of that 2%. And so for that reason, you vet the investors that you're bringing into your community, because 
you're not going to be able to like do a lineup of 500 and pick your best three. Like you're going to have a smaller pool and you probably want to have deeper conversations about those expectations, their goals, how they work with their founders. Alana always does like founder references. If we're thinking of putting someone on our cap table. So, you know, how has this investor been and behaved with and supported founders that they invested in three years ago, a year ago. So all of that due diligence is really critical, but I think we're really lucky in that we have a really, really great board. We have a really, really great community of investors. All of our investors feel very aligned with our goals and our vision for the business. But we too have heard, you know, like the horror stories. And I think a lot of that comes from not really knowing the difference between the the angels versus the VCs and the types of investors you can start right. doing business with and often taking capital from investors that, yeah, you just like didn't properly vet in advance because you were just eager to get the cash in the bank. Totally. And another question that we get quite often is like, how do you know how much money to raise? Um, you know, so when you're setting out to obviously the $20,000 from Y Combinator took you guys from full-time job to full-time entrepreneur, which was crucial for the business. And then obviously your next leap is way more substantial. Then again, you also have a lot of hard costs. So what were you thinking in terms of when you're raising, like, what are you, you know, sort of putting out there as like, this is what we're using the money for. Yeah. I would say, you know, it's different for everyone. Like to Ali's point, I think it depends if you are staying on a more sustainable path, like a more angel type of path versus like going big and like really going with big venture funds for the path that we were on. We definitely, you know, we're on the kind of go big, like venture route from the beginning. I feel like the kind of back of the napkin math we did was, you know, we know for, let's say for our our seed round, for example, that the next big milestone is going to be raising our series A. The thinking was, okay, what do we need to do to raise the series A? And like, what are going to, what are the milestones going to be to get there? Is it going to be like us, you know, hitting a certain amount of revenue? Is it going to be certain number of customers. And I think, you know, it's all again, back of the napkin, like hard to fully predict, but I think having an idea of like what that next milestone is, what you need to do to get there. And then working backwards in like a worst case scenario of how you would get there. So I think for us, it was like, okay, worst case scenario, it might take us like a year and a half to get there. We're going to need like this type of team to start to hit these goals. Like you're doing your best to do projections with like a little bit of information. And yeah, I think we really just worked backwards from that year and a half date and kind of added maybe six months of padding. And then again, thought through like what type of talent we would need to like really do our best to like hit those milestones. But it depends on the type of company that you are like a very different type of company might be like, we just want to get to profitability. We never want to raise again. We want to, you know, again, keep this profitable and not really go the venture out. And then it's a very different kind of calculation that you're doing. You're trying to understand like, what you need to do to get to profitability, how much time do you need to get there and making sure that you're giving yourself that wiggle room in case something happens because it like literally always does. Before we continue that conversation, I want to talk to you about one of today's sponsors, Issue. If you're a listener of Work Party, then you are probably creative in some way, shape or form. And a lot of you are creating on a daily basis, whether that be for your audience, your business, your team at work, your friends, your family, even just for yourself. But when it comes to creativity, there is a way to work smarter, not harder. Enter Issue. When I discovered Issue, it solved so many of my problems and allowed me to start creating beautiful content effectively and efficiently. One of those main issues that took so much time was repurposing different content for different platforms. What a hassle it can be adjusting and resizing and reformatting and on and on. So when I started using Issue, it saved me a lot of time and effort. 
For anyone not familiar, Issue allows you to create and distribute content for every digital marketing channel. You have beautiful content, Issue is what you want to be using to share it with the world. This is an inclusive platform that allows you to create everything from marketing materials to magazines, flipbooks, brochures, and so much more. Our team at Create & Cultivate has used this to mock up and build out the creative for all of our digital events and campaigns. And the final result is always incredible and so polished before it's distributed to our audience. Issue makes your content that much better, and they also work seamlessly with all your favorite tools like Photoshop, InDesign, Dropbox, Canva, and more. All you have to do is create your content one time in one place, and Issue shares it everywhere while simultaneously optimizing for better engagement. So if you are a creator, a marketer, a designer, even someone in sales, or anyone that just wants to stand out among the crowd, Issue is for you. You need to try it. Trust me, you will not regret it. And you can get started with Issue today for free. Or if you sign up for a premium account, you'll get 50% off when you go to issue.com slash podcast and use promo code party. That's I-S-S-U-U dot com slash podcast and use promo code party at checkout for your free account or 50% off your premium account. That's issue.com slash podcast, promo code party. Now let's get back to the chat. And a good example of this, and I want to chat a little bit about is obviously last year. So you guys have multiple brick and mortar locations, COVID essentially wiped out all retail in terms of people being able to go out and shop and and do things. So talk to me about your headspace in March of April or last year and how you were sort of navigating it, obviously being in New York at that time when it was like the epicenter and what you learned and, and sort of how you pivoted and, you know, how you're keeping some of those lessons that maybe you learned moving forward. actually closed our, our retail stores. The last store was in February of 2020. So we didn't have to, you know, deal with the brunt of like leases and rent, but we knew that the retailers in our community were a hundred thousand percent dealing with that and dealing with that anxiety and that those cash flow concerns. So Bulletin, as of the end of 2019, operates a wholesale marketplace. We help brands get into retailers all over the U.S. and Canada, whether that's women's boutique, a spa, a salon, a grocery store, any type of independent business that sources inventory to then sell to their customers, they can order on Bulletin. So we have a network of over like 13,000 retailers now that use Bulletin to do brand discovery and order inventory for their locations. And on the other end of the marketplace, we have our brands. Um, We have brands that are looking to sell into these retailers, increase their distribution without having to pay the tens of thousands of dollars required to join a showroom or do trade shows or hire wholesale reps. So Alana and I really felt like it should be as easy for brands to increase their distribution with retail partners as it is for them to launch a D2C channel through something like Shopify or Etsy. And at the end of 2018, we had a massive wait list of about 3,500 brands that wanted to sell in our stores. Uh, We couldn't serve them because we could only work with about 120 brands at a time. We ourselves were cobbling together, like how many platforms, Alana? Like we were using like five or six different means of sourcing inventory for our stores. And it just felt super disjointed. Like we felt this pain point ourselves as a retailer. And basically we realized like we were kind of handicapping our growth because we had all of this demand from brands who wanted an easier, more affordable way to get into retail stores. That's why they were on our wait list. But we couldn't work with all of those brands because we only have three stores 
And there was this additional pain point for us on the inventory sourcing side. So we ended up launching our wholesale marketplace at the end of 2019. It took about a year to build and it took off immediately. So we, within the first two months of months of launching the wholesale marketplace, we're doing more business through that in two months than we were doing in our retail stores. And so it became really, really obvious that the wholesale marketplace needed to be the future of the business. So we had created a plan prior to COVID to sunset the stores. We tried running both businesses at once, major learning there. Don't do it. I don't think we regret, you know, doing it for as long as we did. We learned a lot. And I think the pace was, was correct. But, um, when COVID hit, I think we were really well positioned to serve our customers because we had just come from retail and running those stores. We knew what our customers were concerned about. We knew that our retailers were freaking out about not having their brick and mortar channel open. And a lot of them needed to go online and launch e-commerce stores for the first time. We knew that our brands were dealing with supply chain issues. Even if they did get an order from a retailer, how would they be able to fulfill that order if the supply chain was completely broken because of COVID shutting down trade between different countries? So we essentially pivoted for about two months away from growth and toward just helping our customer at all costs, whether that meant launching newsletters every single week to help train our retailers on how to launch an e-commerce store and finding the right e-commerce partner between you know Shopify, Squarespace, Wix, whatever it may be, to talking with a lot of the brands in our community about their supply chain issues and how we can set them up for success and not have them disappoint retailers and you know burn these relationships that they had built through our platform prior to COVID. So all of our comms, our entire team, everything we did pivoted for about two to three months away from growth and toward putting ourselves in our customers' shoes and giving them the tools, the resources, and honestly, sometimes just like the therapeutic phone call that they needed to talk through how they were feeling and what they were going through and how COVID was negatively impacting their business. Hey, Work Party listeners, before we dive into the next topic, I want to give a shout out to one of today's sponsors, Armchair Expert. Armchair Expert is a weekly Spotify exclusive podcast hosted by Dak Shepard and Monica Padman that features in-depth interviews with celebrities, artists, authors, and global thought leaders. If you're anything like us here at Work Party, then you probably love learning every detail, both micro and macro, about the successful people that inspire you every day. We love podcasts that celebrate the messiness of being human through honest and raw conversations and think you'll love Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard. On Mondays and Thursdays, hosts Dax and Monica create a space for their accomplished guests to share real, personal, and enlightening stories. As I mentioned before, you'll hear from a variety of inspiring thought leaders, including Hollywood stars, musicians, professional athletes, award-winning scientists, authors, and so much more. From setbacks, shortcomings, and everyday challenges to lessons learned, growth periods, and epic triumphs, Armchair Expert is one of our new favorite podcasts that delivers all of the most important details through the lens of each individual and their personal and vulnerable life stories. Some of their recent guests have been Quentin Tarantino, Barack Obama, and Gloria Steinem, just to name a few. These episodes are action-packed with uniquely fascinating stories, actionable takeaways, and thoughtful insights that pull back the curtain on some of today's most important topics. To start listening, simply download the Spotify app, sign up for free, and search for Armchair Expert to start listening. Listen to Armchair Expert for free now only on Spotify. Now let's get back to the episode. So obviously you guys are in the thick of retail as a whole. What do you think the future of retail is going to be in a post-COVID world? 
local retail is going to continue to surge and climb because we can see it in our sales numbers from June. Now that the world is fully opened back up for the most part, now that brick and mortar stores can be open at all hours, um, a lot of states you know, don't require mask mandates anymore. So customers get more excited to do that discovery because they're not like breathing through a mask while they're in these boutiques or in these shops. It, it's very obvious that local retail is, is on the rise. It's here to stay. I think that piggybacks nicely with what we're seeing with the younger generation of consumers who are going to dominate consumer behavior where they aren't into mass fashion, mass retail, they're anti-Amazon, they are into sustainability and they care who is making their products and who's selling it to them. So I think those larger trends really benefit our brands and benefit our retailers and therefore benefit Bulletin. I do think that the future of retail is going to skew even more peer-to-peer. Um, I think what we've seen with the Depop acquisition by Etsy with Poshmark and ThreadUp and a lot of these third-party marketplaces selling resale items going public, it's very obvious that this new generation of consumers in many cases would prefer to get curation and shop from someone they follow on Instagram or on TikTok versus you know maybe the older retailer that's in their 40s who's running a cute shop around the corner. So I guess my big bet for the future of retail is that this notion of this local retailer as our customer is, is going to expand. The local brick and mortar retailer, you know, in, in a cute beach town needs bulletin and needs our inventory. But I think as th- these trends progress, there are going to be other retailer types and a new type of demand that is also looking for our inventory, whether that's a TikTok influencer that's launching their own retail store Um, an Instagram influencer that's curating product and wants to take commission. So I really see the future of retail as super exciting because I think with the death of the mall, with the death of these, you know, big box retailers and these big box legacy brands like the J Crews and arguably gaps of the world, we'll see Kanye's in the mix now TVD on how that goes. I feel like young brands, retailers, and this like peer to peer selling behavior is all just going to keep going up and to the right. But Alana, I don't know if you'd add anything to that. I feel like you covered everything I would say. Like, I think it's really cool to see all of these tools, whether it's, you know, something like what we're doing or like the Shopify's of the world, where it's just all about like empowering the individual to like get out there and like sell whatever they want and do it on their own terms. And I feel like you just see so many more people now like starting their own brand or becoming like a small online multi-brand retailer. Like a lot of the people that we work with, it's cool to see people like taking that leap, even if, if it's in a very small way and just having all of these tools to do it like so affordably, so quickly, like that barrier to entry is so low now. And it's just really exciting to see like the different types of businesses that get started because it's like, it like couldn't be easier to do these days. Totally agree. I mean, just all the TikTokers selling all the things. Everyone's like 14 and a billionaire. It's insane. <laughs> it really does cool. freak me out. I'm like, can you guys like have a childhood? Yeah, worried about you. <laughs> truly, 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 truly. I mean, I feel like we'll be seeing some of the effects of that longer term, but neither here nor there. <laughs> what is the future for Bulletin looking like for you guys? Like, what is a great exit story for you? Is IPOing a possibility? Like, you know, how do you sort of see that, like the end all be all of Bulletin? Yeah, I mean, I think we, from the beginning, like we want to go big. I think as soon as we kind of started this path and really started to take it seriously. And when we got into the stores, we were like, let's just like, I don't know, go as big as possible as we possibly can for better or worse. 
And I think that's the path that we want to stay on. Like we're now a three person company. We've grown like crazy over the past year. I think we just want to continue to ride this out and see where it takes us. I don't know if that exit will be going public or an acquisition or what that will look like. I think, I don't know. We care about the community that we work with a lot. Like we want to make sure that we do the right thing by them and by our employees and by our investors. But yeah, I think we just want to make this as big as we possibly can. I think the opportunity is like so massive, like wholesale as an industry is so big. I think like the sky really is the limit for us and just definitely like staying on this path. I was going to say, I'm excited to keep learning. Like I truly feel like this has just been five and a half years of constantly optimizing for scale with every iteration of the business. And with these new, you know, executive hires with, you know, some new advisors we brought into the mix. Like I truly feel like I'm becoming a better manager, a better founder, just like my toolkits expanding. And I think everyone on the team feels that way as we continue to grow. And I think it's really unique for a business to scale and it's scary, but it's a unique experience for you to scale. And rather than feeling like you're falling apart at the seams and you're breaking apart, like to feel like it's really positive and everyone on the team feels like they're growing and learning together is it just feels so special. So I think from a non monetary perspective, that's the future of bulletin for me. It's just like continuing to grow my toolkit and let this business help me become a better professional human and contributor to any business that, you know, we work on at any point in our futures. I love that. Well, can you guys tell our audience where they can find more about bulletin and especially if they're a small business that maybe has a product, how they could maybe get involved from that perspective? If you're a brand, if you're a product-based business, whether you're selling jewelry, accessories, pantry, apparel, you name it, we sell it to our retailers. You can go to bulletin.co and apply as a brand. You'll get accepted pretty quickly by our amazing merchandising team. You'll quickly fill out an onboarding form. It takes just a couple minutes. We need your line sheet. We need some pics from you and you'll go live within a week. And as soon as you go live, you can approve of your brand page and you'll get sent and submitted to the thousands of retailers using our platform to source inventory for their online stores or for their shelves. If you are a retailer and you are looking to source inventory, or maybe you're a brand and you're thinking of becoming a multi-brand retailer and adding brands to your Shopify store, you can sign up. Uh, All you have to do is add your information, your store URL, your email. You'll be able to shop immediately as soon as you input that info for us. And we offer net 60 terms. So retailers have two months to sell their inventory before paying the wholesale invoice. And we also give all retailers a $2,000 opening line of credit. So we know that retailers care a lot about cash flow. Um, so it means that you can basically order inventory on a line of credit that you're then paying at 60 after you make sales on, you know, sharing those items with your customers and brands get paid net 15. So after you fulfill an order as a brand, you get paid for that order within two weeks of sending the items to the retailer. So no more chasing down your retailers for unpaid invoices or like awkward emails and calls. We finance the order for you and we can't wait to meet you. Oh, <laughs> nailed it. Um, I'm sold. I don't have a product, but uh, <laughs> I'm in. No, I'm just um, no, that was amazing. Thank you ladies so much. Always such a pleasure to talk to you guys. I'm excited to see what you guys do next. Thank you so much. Both been so inspired by you and Create Cultivate. I hope there are more Create Cultivate IRL events in the queue because they're unbelievable and you do such an amazing job. So Aww. yeah, thank you for like paving the way. You know, oh, it's, it's really amazing. Of course. Yes. And hopefully um, some IRL stuff very soon. 
For more inspiring conversations like this one, follow The Work Party on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoy today's episode, make sure to rate and review us or show us some love on social. We love seeing you tune in every week and share your favorite episodes. We're at Work Party on Instagram and at It's a Work Party on Facebook and Twitter. And if you're interested in creating your own podcast or want to know the ins and outs of the business of podcasting, we've teamed up with the Lady Gang to bring you The Pod Class, a comprehensive guide that covers everything from planning your content to sourcing guests to becoming your own in-house producer and so, so, so much more. All are available for purchase on the Create and Cultivate website now. That's createcultivate.com. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party.